0: All right, boys. Welcome to TLDR Podcast Episode 2. Uh we're an official podcast now. We have our we have our shit online, we have a social media account, we have a sponsor. Like it's it's pretty much as legit as you can get. So, uh, for all of you who decided to stick around and actually listen to a second episode, thank you. Welcome. We have a great episode for you today. Um, today, in this order, uh, Alex will be talking about the NBA restart and uh, all the things that are going to be going on with the National Basketball Association. Eric is going to give us his West World uh, summary through his brain and his his own. Whatever the hell's going on upstairs. It's terrifying. So I'm looking. I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, Trading is going to give us his 2020 NHL draft lottery and all the chaos and drama that happened last week with that. Uh, I'm going to give you guys the MLB 2020 season outlook and uh, what that's going to be like. All the all the, all the new rule changes and all the difference of a 2020 shortened 60 game season and how that's going to look. And then James is going to finish us off with. Uh, some NFL offseason moves, the defense edition. So basically, last week just with the offense, um,
1: with the defense.
0: Here we are, guys. Here we are, here we are our boys. Uh, Trade in joining us live from Covina, California. Trade in, how we doing?
2: Bad, man. You know, just keep it on, keep it on. You know, um, excited to see that there's some news to talk about, especially when it comes to. Yeah, the NHL, the NBA, now the MLB. It's something that, you know, gets you up in the morning, gets you gets you going for sure. Oh, yeah. James joining us from Orange. James, what's up, man?
1: What's up, guys? How are you guys doing? Excited for this round two.
0: Eric
3: joining us from Seal Beach. Eric. Hello, Tyler. Um, <laughs> I want to get right into it, so. We all golfed last Saturday in Chino Hills El Prado course. Uh, I like the course, actually. It is a very long course, and we did walk 18 holes. It's there probably the mean. most tired I've ever seen James in his life. That was awful. Uh, no, this guy runs like six miles, but he got tired carrying a golf bag for 18 holes. <laughs> <laughs> 9.3 miles, dude. Yeah, we did walk nine miles, but what we came to conclusion was that golf and sex are actually kind of similar. You think about it. It's kind of what Tyler was chiming in on all day. But when you hit a golf ball, you want to hit it in the G spot. So you want to hit it just in the right spot where the club head hits the ball right in the middle. You don't have to swing out of your shoes. And so coming from that, basically it's like you want to be soft and slow. And that's, that comes with the clitoris rubbing (laughs) and so when you rub the clitoris you want to be nice and gentle and slow but you don't want to jerk the dick all hard and swing out of your shoes and that's when it comes to swing to the g spot but it's all positional base as well if you think about it you got to set up in the right position (laughs) and you got to be in the right spot to hit that ball in the g spot and also when you first hit that ball you don't want to blow your blow your load on the first hole so you have 18 holes, you're going to walk nine miles possibly. So. that's, that's, that's true. And
0: I mean, the whole time, you know, I mean, you know, basically it's, it's really, it's you, your stick, the ball and the hole. And when all those things can work together, that's when you have a good golf game. So yes, it is very much like sex in that sense. You know, you, you have to, you have to not just think about yourself and not just go ham and swing out of your ass because that's not going to complement the rest of the hole. You have to think about everything else that's going on, and it all has to work together. You have to you have to work with your partner. That being either the ball, the hole, whatever it is, it's it's a complementary back and forth that is very similar. Um, Sex, yes. I I think
1: we're uh, really taking sex advice from the guy who couldn't talk to a girl up until two years ago. <laughs> a really solid point.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, like Tyler said, it took him de Chambeau, it took him, you know, two to three minutes to line up for a putt. And that's how long it took Tyler to go approach a girl when he was staring right at her at a bar in Chico. <laughs> so like you
4: said, James, you're right. You're right. You gotta you, you gotta take that in consideration.
1: Grand salt, man. Granite salt. But you're probably right. My goodness.
4: I'm glad I do not live near you guys. <laughs> I think that's a good call. I think the uh, family-friendly portion of the podcast, that's just out, that's out the window. <laughs> yeah, so if you have any family and
3: friends listening to episode two, just tell them to fast forward about 10 minutes. Give <laughs> <Yeah. you know. laughs> the first 10 minutes. Yeah. Don't introduction this <laughs> one. All right,
0: well, when we come back, Alex is going to give us our NBA restart. Basketball's back, y'all, and we're going to have a fun time looking into that, so stick around. Alex, when we come back. All right, welcome back, everyone. The National Basketball Association is back, and Alex is going to give us our Recap on everything you need to know about what's happened and what's going on, when it's starting, who's in it. Alex, take it away.
4: Yeah, so since I did like a not so serious one last week, I figured maybe do a little more serious this week. So, yeah, that's right, Todd. The NBA is coming back July 30th. Uh, They are playing down there in Orlando. They're doing the hub, um, which is different than what baseball is proposing right now and kind of what hockey's doing. Hockey's still kind of trying to figure their stuff out. Um, but not all the teams are going on. So in the East, there's only nine teams. Um, so the eight teams that were already in the eight spots and then the Washington Wizards who are five and a half back and they're only playing eight regular season games. And then wherever the standings lie after that, they're going into their normal playoff scenarios like they would, you know, one plays eight, two plays seven and on. Uh, in the West, on the other hand, though, there are an extra five teams that are playing because the Suns are six games out of that eight spot. I'm not really sure why the Suns were included. Uh, they, I don't know how they're going to make up six six games in eight. I mean, they pretty much have to win out, and everyone has to lose in front of them. But um, I do think it's kind of interesting. So a couple of notes to point out. Um, both the Bucks and the Lakers, who are the one seeds in their respective uh, divisions or conferences are each up by more than five and a half games. So that one seeds are probably locked in. Um, and we'll get into kind of like a finals possible matchup between those two in a little bit. But in the East, just saw today the Nets. So the Nets are in the seven spot. KD's not, well, he's still hurt. He was never going to play. Kyrie's not playing. DeAndre Jordan has COVID. Spencer uh, Dinwiddie has uh, COVID. So there's a good chance the Nets just lose all the way out and somehow the Wizards sneak in. Who are they are 16 games under 500 and they might sneak into the playoffs cuz the East That's is That's the East for you, man. That That's the usual. Yeah, so I don't know what do you guys think? So pretty much the 1 through 6 seeds, so the Bucks, the Raptors, the Celtics, the Heat, the Pacers and the Sixers are all in already pretty much. They're not they can't fall out. But do you think the Nets or the Magic who are currently in the eighth spot fall, and somehow the Wizards, who were terrible all year, they're like one of the worst defensive teams, squeak in?
1: I think there's a chance. Like the Nets, like you said, they have nobody right now. I mean, on top of everybody that you mentioned, you also have Wilson Chandler sitting out for the rest of this. So they have nobody. Yeah, seriously, nobody. Almost nobody. But on the flip side, the Washington Wizards, they have David Bertans also sitting out. He's a guy who's going to free agency, having 15 points per game, and shot 42 percent from three. So that's a big piece right there. But you still got Bradley Beal, man. Like, he's going to just carry that. He can – he'll win a couple games just on his own, especially if the Nets fall. I think there's a good chance that the Washington Wizards take that eight spot.
3: Yeah, but the Wizards, they also don't have John Wall. I don't think – They haven't that, had him all
1: season. No, he's yeah. he's
3: not going to play. Yeah. So I think maybe even the Magic squeeze in a spot. Last year, they were the team that squeezed into a spot for that last eight seed, and it doesn't mean shit. But they won one game versus the Raptors, who ended up winning the championship. But you know, maybe that's a little morale booster. But I think, like what James is saying, the Nets have nobody, so that kind of gives the Magic a little
1: more of a chance to squeeze in. From Magic guys. in the right now anyway, so they're going to make it. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, Magic like the Nets
4: could become the seven, and then the Wizards could the sneak in if the eight and the Nets fall out.
3: Yeah, I don't think the Wizards have have enough firepower to get through, especially with James pointing out that Bert's hands isn't in there. That's a guy that gives them solid points. So he's also a hot hit on the court. Um Speaking back to that first episode, the Rats in the NHL, he's kind of a rat in the NBA. He's probably a good dude off the court, but, I mean, he's the type of guy you want when on your team, but off your team, he could be a little ratty. But
4: I think the Magic hold that eight spot. Okay, so switching over to the West, a lot more going on here. Um, There's definitely some kind of conspiracies about the Pelicans who are technically in the 10 spot right now, but they are tied, uh, with the Kings and the trailblazers and they're three and a half back of the Grizzlies who are in that eight spot. So looking at the proposed eight game schedules, these teams have the Pelicans have one of the easiest schedules coming in. And there's this whole conspiracy theory online that if the Pelicans can sneak in and become that eight seed, then it's LeBron and Zion in the first round. I mean, if you're the NBA, you kind of want that to happen. Like, that's big money. A bunch of people are going to watch that. Zion's probably the most hyped rookie coming into the league since LeBron was in 2003. Um, I'm not really going to give the Kings, the Spurs, the Suns, any other love. I don't really think they legitimately have a chance. I personally love Dame Lillard, so I kind of want the Trailblazers to sneak in because I think Dame's legit. Um, But as a Lakers fan, out of those, like, so the Grizzlies, the Blazers, or the Pelicans, who would you least want the Lakers to play in that first round? Like, who are you most worried about if they do match up with any of those teams? I think history tells us that the Trailblazers
0: and the Lakers, uh, the Trailblazers just have a Lakers number for whatever reason. It's, there's no real explanation for it. Uh, I mean, even on the night, if not, I mean, obviously like emotions were high and there's a lot of good things going on, but, uh, the after the first game back after Kobe died, they played the Trailblazers and uh, they lost. And if you look at, I don't know what the numbers are, but I guarantee you, in the last ten years, the Trailblazers have a winning record against the Lakers, no doubt. So the Trailblazers, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but they have the Lakers number. So for me, the team I would least want to face the Trailblazers. Damian Lillard is a baller. He is an amazing player, and he can step it up. And he he, he is one – I think he's the top five player in the NBA. I will stick to that. Um, but for me as a fan, I would love to see Lakers-Pelicans just because, I mean, with the trade with Anthony Davis, a lot of former Lakers with Pelicans. Um, obviously, Anthony Davis with the Lakers. So kind of seeing that whole matchup, seeing guys like Lonzo Ball uh, trying to come back and, you know, you know, have some revenge against their former team – Anthony Davis, the same. Zion Williams, of course, is a big part of that. Zion LeBron. That's the matchup I want to see. But, yeah, to, but to answer your question, I do not want to see the Lakers play the Trailblazers. Not just, that team just makes me nervous just because of the history of the, that the Lakers have had with that team. Um, and the, team the, the team I most want to see is, is, the, is the Lakers Pelicans. Yeah. A
4: couple uh, of things to add here. Yeah, go for it, James.
1: Uh, you said you're scared of the Trailblazers. And no doubt, Dame is a damn good player. CJ McCollum can shoot the hell yeah, out of the ball. McCollum right? is another dude for sure. Yeah, he can shoot the three like crazy. But you guys are missing Trevor Ariza. He's, he's sitting out this entire thing. He's not playing at all. That's that 11 true. points and five rebounds just gone. They added somebody from the G League. His name is Jalen Adams. He's a point guard, though. So you're replacing a small forward with a point guard? Doesn't add up to me. So that's, that's the thing they're going to to right there. Trevor Ariza is, is a big part of that team. He was a big part of the legacy when you pushed the. The Lakers, it's it's hard to replace that. And then for the Pelicans, like, that would be cool to see too. But they just had three players test positive for COVID. They won't name which three, but you got three of them who are down right now. And the chance that they get back, who knows? That's up in the air. But you think
3: – I know just throughout the season, the Lakers obviously had the Pelicans number. I think – I don't think the Pelicans beat them once, but maybe the first game they played them, it was a blowout. And then the next three, they were kind of close. And then in the end, you could tell, like, the young talent can finish it for the Pelicans. And I don't think the Pelicans would beat the Lakers, especially in the playoffs. But I think they could potentially tire them out a little bit. I think just after playing a team four times, you know, you start to learn their methods, learn their skills, learn the ways that they do things. And I think – it's tough, though. Like Tyler said, the Trailblazers, you don't want to see them either. Um, but, yeah, the Pelicans, they could get through them, but I think the Pelicans could give them a little bit more difficulty than the Lakers fans think what's going to come when, if they do face the Pelicans, especially with Zion. It's his first time in the playoffs. you got to think he's going to go off. But at the same time, he can go off and the team can't win. That's kind of been what's going on throughout the season, but, you know, it's his first season. Anyways, it's still gonna be a tough battle for the Lakers. And I know the Lakers will get past them, but I think it's just gonna be not as easy as they thought. They'd probably wanna see Memphis of all those teams. Even though Memphis has Job Morant, I don't think Memphis could, could tire them out as much maybe as the Pelicans would. You have those guys that James is talking about that all got traded from the Lakers to the Pelicans. They're gonna have a little vengeance on their side, you know. They may have something to something to go at them with, you know.
4: Yeah, I definitely think the Pelicans have something to prove. I think definitely Ingram, Josh Hart, Alonzo Ball want to show the Lakers like you gave up on us. I mean, granted, none of those guys are Anthony Davis, who's probably another top five player in the league. Um, True. So, yeah, I kind of agree. I think I'm not worried about the Grizzlies all that much. The Pelicans, I think, could put up a fight, but – being a Lakers fan and seeing Dame in the playoffs and knowing we, I think we've won like maybe two games in Portland over the last 10 years. I think we didn't have back-to-back wins in Portland since the Kobe Powell years of like 2009, 2010. Um, so the trailblazers worry me the most, um, but kind of moving forward. So let's just assume, I think from the East, I'm just going to assume the Bucks are going to push through. They seem to just have been destroying almost everybody all season. I think the NBA also wants an LA Lakers Clippers Western Conference final and it kind of feels like whoever wins that series might just be like riding such a high from that series if they run into the Bucks it might be over or on the opposite do you think they're I personally believe and kind of hope that if that series happens it goes 7 And either the Lakers or the Clippers are just so exhausted that when they meet the Bucs in the finals, are the Bucs just going to wipe them off the floor because they're going to be rested? I mean, so you got to think the East. I think the
3: Raptors are still going to be a tough team to get by. I know the Sixers are going to be there too. It's going to be one of those two teams probably, I think. Actually, fuck, the Celtics. (laughs) It's another team that's tough. It's hard to say, but, like, you can even say the Bucs may play the Celtics, and that could go seven, you know. The Celtics, but even the Raptors, like, they're still a tough team. Like, they still have the playoff experience. They have most of the same dudes from last year. I, I don't know how easy it is g- going to be for the Bucs. I think the Bucs can get there, but I think, similar to what you're saying, the Battle of L.A. for the West, I think the Bucks are going to have to battle their way through to get to the finals i don't know if it's going to be a a quick rest for them hopefully not hopefully not so they're you know the finals is going to be a a hopefully a game seven series you know or or a battle in in itself but it's it's a toss-up i mean the celtics though too you can't count them out they've they've been showing their their worth this year
0: yeah, I, I I think I think the East is competitive, but I think whoever comes out of the West is going to be the favorite to win it. Um, I think from the beginning of this of this season, you know, the opening day was Lakers-Clippers. I, I really hope that that's how it's going to end up in the Western Conference Final. I, I think that's what the fans love. That's what I want. I think it's what a lot of people want. It's the Battle of Los Angeles. I think whoever comes out of that series is going to be a favorite to win it and I think we will win it. Um, so it's really it's it's going to come down to that Western Conference final, and th- and that's assuming that the Lakers and Clippers both make it. Um, but I think those are the two best teams in the NBA. Whoever comes out of that series is probably going to win the
1: NBA championship this season. I disagree with you, man. Like the, if the Bucks make it all the way through, they match up better than anybody to those Western teams. G- Giannis, dude, that guy's athletic. He can guard He's anybody. Funny. He's unguardable himself. He's too. He, exactly, and then Gledso. Dude, he can shoot too. Can Rondo guard him? I don't know. Brooke Lopez, he's big, man. He's gonna be in the middle. Like the, finally, the NBA be a
3: menace. Yeah, finally the Thank NBA you. is gonna be a toss-up. I'd say the last like five years, you kind of could predict who was gonna win the NBA. It's finally like the the NHL. That's that's one of the best things about the NHL, right trading, is that you never know who the fuck's going to win that Stanley Cup. There could be an AC that gets in that all of a sudden goes on a run. Yeah, I mean, it's different in basketball, but now you could finally say like kind of what James is pointing out, like you can't count out probably four of those teams in the East. like, And you can't count out the Lakers or the Clippers, whoever makes it, or even the Nuggets. I mean, the Nuggets is just a wild card team, but they've been a good team for the past year or two. And, you know if they go on a run you don't want to you don't want to be in their way so it's kind of it's finally you don't really know what's going to fucking happen in that league. it's good good to hear that
4: yeah there's pretty much three teams from the west that can win and for the lakers or the clippers or whomever has to face the nuggets playing i guess will they'll be playing in orlando so the whole denver part doesn't really matter anymore but But that Nuggets team is dirty, and they could I think they could surprise some people for sure. Um, Another cool thing, Tyler, you were mentioning how Lakers-Clippers started the season. It's going to be Lakers-Clippers on July 30th as the first game of their kind of eight uh, remaining regular season games. So I'll be watching that. Um, It'll definitely be interesting to see what happens with the basketball and playoffs. I am a little worried, since Florida is a pretty gnarly hot spot right now, that (laughs) – it could all fall apart next week. Uh, we'll kind of just have to wait and see. But that's all we got for NBA, unless anyone else has something you want to add. All right.
0: Thanks, Alex and everyone. Uh, that'll end this segment on the NBA restart. Uh, when we come back, we're going to take a journey through Eric's brain and what was going on with his mind when he was watching the HBO hit series Westworld when we came <laughs> on TLDR podcast. guys welcome back to tldr podcast uh this segment our boy eric is going to take us through his version of hbo series westworld eric
3: take it away right so first off everyone i've ever talked to that's watched the show is pretty much on the same boat as me and that nobody understands westworld it's a good show, don't get me wrong. But I'm going to take you through a little summary synopsis of what I remember because I tried to pull up a summary online and it was like four pages long of things. Things that I do remember, things that I don't remember, things that I never even knew existed in the show, but here we go. So it starts out obviously in the western world and you meet this girl Dolores, this hot blonde chick and <laughs> <laughs> She's going through her everyday life. She wakes up. There's some music playing that wakes her up every day. She wakes up, walks out of her house, sees her dad and talks to him, says the same thing she does every morning, grabs her painting materials and a picture and gets on a horse and rides to the Westworld. Um, she meets some people along the way, right? And... Um, later that night fast forward uh, there's this bounty hunter guy and he's in a cowboy hat because he's in westworld <laughs> and this guy <laughs> this guy murders her i mean he, he takes her into this barn house and everything and kills kills her boyfriend and the guy that she likes all this stuff murders her fast forward she wakes up in a lab all these scientists are around her right she's being fixed so she's in a dream apparently and these people fix her and then all of a sudden she wakes up again in the same exact scenario so she's going through the same scenario she wakes up the music plays she grabs a painting talks to her dad gets on the horse in a nutshell you see all these other characters in the show do the same thing the characters that you meet in the show they wake up in the same world every day and they go through the same scenario but you see that like these characters get killed, they live the same life, but there's other people coming in. The other people coming in are humans and these characters are robots. (laughs) So this is when you realize, well, this is when I realized that Westworld is like a theme park. So humans go in there for their own pleasures. They could do whatever they want. They can go on like hunting missions. Uh, They can have pleasures with the robots. The ro- but the thing is that's crazy is the robots, they just look like humans. And through the first season, you can tell, the more you watch, you can see like when a character is really a robot. And the humans can do whatever they want to the robots. Um, the robots can't really do anything to the humans. They can't kill them. They could put them in like a stressful situation. But basically, these robots have codes. Right, Tyler? Am I, am, I, am I getting it right here so far? So these robots have codes. So far, keep going. <laughs> so the basically the guy who created this world puts these like uh, algorithms and codes into these robots, and they live like the same story every day. So you start to see these robots and all the characters, they start getting human emotions, and they start remembering their codes, and their codes is like their story. So it's like they all had a different story, and... They're starting to remember like different stories that they get put in. Anytime, like, they start malfunctioning, the people in the labs like put them into a different story to be like, all right, let's take them out of that. They're not fitting in. But you see now that Dolores is in charge, she's running the show and she's ready to take over all the humans. So she's now finding that the Westworld is right outside that the lab that they go to when they die and they get fixed she's finding that it's like on the same land so she started to infiltrate that area get in there and start taking over everything so she's starting to kill off humans which now it's kind of that's why season two actually kind of gets good you start getting a little bit of a plot twist but halfway through that season it all of a sudden it just cuts out and you see that dude william the old bounty hunter guy as a young dude which you kind of saw in the first season, but you have to find out that he is the same guy in the first season. So if you don't, you're fucked. But if you do know (laughs) that he is the same guy, he's has his father-in-law in in like a lab. And basically he created his father-in-law into a robot. And now he's testing his father-in-law as a robot.
1: All right. Last,
3: last part, season three is the worst season. Of of the three seasons, <laughs> Tyler would disagree. But the first two seasons, you're in Westworld, you're in this this Western area. All of a sudden, it fast forwards, and you're in the future. And the first character you see in the third season is fucking Jesse Pinkman, who's a good actor, and he was great in Breaking Bad. But he's the first dude you see, and you've never seen him in the show before. And he's the first dude you see, from what I remember, in the first episode. He's like a thug, weirdo, dude. He steals much of shit. And fucking, I think he kills a bunch of people, but he also runs the show with Marshawn Lynch, which is pretty cool. When I first saw that, I was like, that's fucking Marshawn Lynch. That's pretty legit that he's in the show. And in a nutshell, in the very end, Dolores and Jesse Pinkman link up. Of course they do. And she shows them there's like this giant robot center that controls everything. And it's like producing an algorithm to show everybody like their death. So it's like, all right, you're going to die this way. Like we predicted that your life is only going to last 30 years and you're going to die by jumping off a pier, committing suicide. That's like what Pinkman's life was. But Pinkman becomes the prodigy child to take down this giant robot center. But my mind gets a little hazy in the very end. That girl Maeve, uh, (laughs) who was also a badass, fights Dolores, who they were once like good friends, fights her, then joins her. And then they take down the dude who bought Westworld. And I, Tyler, I need your clarification. I think they destroy the robot center. This is, you know, this is when I was like, the show just, they should have just had two seasons. I don't think they should have had a third season. Holy
0: shit. Okay. So <laughs> that's not really how the season ended.
3: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> the man. The band- Yeah, I I need
0: clarification. I thought it goes to one of the one of the factories that produces these robots, and he's the one that gets murdered by the robots. So the factory is still very much functional. So I don't know what the fuck you
2: were watching, but (laughs) I thought Pinkman destroyed it. (laughs) Is this whole thing like lead up to the Terminator? Like where's Sarah? Where's Sarah Connor? All this? (laughs) Where's Skynet?
0: Westworld. It's this really cool science fiction HBO show. It's really, really good. It is really complicated, confusing, but it's really about artificial intelligence and consciousness and kind of the link between the two and what that really means. And yeah, that's it what I meant. That's what I meant. It gets really in depth and crazy, um, but I, I I love it. I think it's a really, really good show.
2: Uh, Sounds like a drawn-out uh, Black Mirror episode.
0: Yeah, it's pretty much Kinda, yeah. it, It's it's pretty much that. Um, so it's really it's really fascinating. It really speaks to I think a place that I think society is very close to getting to in terms of being able to create an artificial intelligence that is conscious and has you know sentience and all that stuff. Like we're realistically the rate we're going, we're really not that far away from something like that. And so I think this show kind of basically puts like a worst case scenario into a, you know, cool show of what that could look like for the future. All right. uh, When we come back, uh, Trayden is going to give us his rundown on the 2020 NHL draft lottery that took place last week and all the crazy drama that unfolded. You're going to want to stick around for this one. We'll be right back. VR podcast. This segment, trading, is going to talk about the NHL draft lottery and all the drama that unfolded. This was not your average lottery, people. Trading, tell us what the fuck happened. Just, all just- right. <laughs> I'm on. Already- yeah,
2: yeah. I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna start by saying this. I think that uh, June 26 is going to go down. Da- June 26, 2020 is going to go down as the, one of the NHL's biggest. Drama-filled days when it ever comes to the draft lottery. Um, So, to give some perspective to to those who maybe aren't familiar with hockey or draft lotteries in general, um, up until 1994, the uh, the NHL always just gave the 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 first pick to the to the worst team in the league. Um, But that kind of led to a a tanking system where people would just you know teams would just start tanking for the for the top player. It wasn't until '95 that they instilled the draft lottery where. It, the worst team had the highest odds of getting the getting the, the you know the top pick, and then it tiered down from there. Well, fast forward to 2020, and I call I'm going to call this the 2020 COVID Alexi Lafreniere lottery bullshit um, debacle. Um, that's 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 what it's going to be called from from my perspective. So, uh, as part of the NHL's return to play, um, um, I like guess structure. Um, 24 teams were granted the ability to play the rest of the season or essentially a playoff round or a, you know, continue playing, so to speak, um, which is different than the typical, you know, 16 teams that go into playoffs. Um, The reason they did that was because there were some, because they only played 83% of the, of the season. There were some teams that had a mathematical chance of making playoffs and the NHL wanted to grant them the ability to get back into the playoffs. So they based on your percentage of points relative to your games you uh you they they seeded the teams in the in the top 8 I'm sorry the top 12 from each uh each conference were were granted the ability to play um 8 on each side 8 from each conference of the lower tier teams are playing each other in a best of 5 to determine who's going to be those you know those final four spots of the of each conference in the playoffs well as a as an as a, an ability as as a way to make sure that the draft lottery was fair for those you know teams that weren't going to win that round, as would be the case if they if the season had finished out, the the NHL decided to impose a phase a two phase draft lottery, which is ne- which is unprecedented; has never happened before. Essentially, how it works is they gave they gave the percentage of odds for you know the the bottom seven teams that aren't going to get the chance to play another game of hockey here in 2020 for the 2020 season and gave a placeholder team a through team h which represents the eight teams that will eventually lose the, the playing round of the uh, of the new you know return to play and the way it works is they'll, they'll do the they did the draft lettering on friday and the rule was if in phase one if one of the three or if one of the top three picks went to you know team A through H, there would that would trigger a second phase of the draft lottery, making it so that all eight of the teams that lose in the event in the eventual you know play-in round will have an equal opportunity to get whatever pick that was, whether it be one, two, or three. Well, so we'll fast forward to Friday night. And again, the debacle that is the NHL, um it just so happened that the first round pick is going to one of the eight teams that will eventually lose, have a chance to make the playoffs, but will eventually lose the play in round. Um, making uh, it going, going based off that it knocked the worst team um, Detroit Red Wings all the way to the, you know, place four in the, uh, in the, in the draft. Um, they had a terrible season and they weren't given any, any help whatsoever. Um, the Kings actually jumped to two, um and the Ottawa Senators via the San Jose Sharks first round pick are the is the third overall pick now before i get into scenarios i first want to ask uh you, you know you alex just based on my summary what kind of problems do you see going on with uh with this going forward
4: well i mean kind of what we were talking about off off air after the night it was happening where you know, you as an Oilers fan, obviously, as you can see over your right shoulder and how you kind of lucked into McDavid sort of, you can kind of luck in the Oilers can, I mean, obviously as an Oilers fan, they had a great, they have a, they're having a good season. They have a good chance of moving on, but if they don't, you can magically luck in to the number one pick, which would be, you know, for any of these teams who are obviously good enough or almost, you know, the Blackhawks, some of these teams that squeaked in with these new weird COVID rules, they're gonna end up getting a very big top prospect that, in normal times, they never ever would have had a chance for. On the other side, as a Kings fan, kind of a bummer because we did have a shot at the number one pick, but you know, a number two pick is still pretty good. Our last number two pick turned out pretty darn well, in Drew Doughty. Um, you know, with the kind of mock drafts that are going on, it seems like. Um, Quentin Byfield will be the number, possibly the number two overall pick, a right. big lefty shot center. Who, again, when we pick big centers that shoot lefty, they kind of turn out pretty well, like that Kopitar dude. Um, <laughs> for the Red Wings, you've got to just be like, you, just you fucking kidding me. They had, they were on a historically bad pace. Um, I was reading at one point, they were, Um, They were going to have a net goal rating, the worst in history, and then they end up as the four four pick. There's definitely problems with it, and there's going to be – I mean, these teams, picks two through seven or whatever, however many were they were, that didn't get a chance to make these playoffs and now lost out on the number one pick. There's going to be a lot of issues, I think, with then respect from the teams to the league. I think the relationship generally is pretty pretty decent in hockey. I mean, they had the lockout, you know, a while back, but CBAs constantly, you know, have to be reworked. And this, I mean, it's crazy times, but that could be leading to a bigger issue. You know, we can't predict three, four, five years down the road.
2: Um, I think that. I mean, I definitely think that's a that's a good point. Uh, I'm going to bring in some stats here. I mean, or, or some, I guess, trivia. Um, this was this will be the first time in NHL history that a that one of the top set top uh, seven worst teams aren't going to have the first overall pick. That's this is the first time that's ever happened. And what's even crazier is, like you said, a team like the Pittsburgh Penguins or the Edmonton Oilers, who are the best of the play-in round teams, have the opportunity to lose and then turn around and get Alexi um, Lafreniere, who's considered the Will, who will be the first overall pick and a damn good pick at that? Um, definitely, definitely franchise changing. Um, when you look at it from this perspective, I was already pretty pissed off at the overall structure from, from one perspective. Um, when I look at the Edmonton Oilers, who, you know, maybe I'm biased, but I can even, I can even say the Pittsburgh Penguins, both, both teams had a 97, 98% chance of making the playoffs. There would have had to been a lot of things to go wrong. That they wouldn't have made the playoffs. We have to turn around and play the Chicago Blackhawks, who had a three percent chance of making the playoffs. Everything would have had to go right, you guys and and I agree. And now we're stuck in a we're stuck in a situation where it's a best of five. And as you guys know in hockey. Once you are placed into a best of five or a best of seven situation, it's no longer a 3% or 97% chance of winning. It's all of a sudden, maybe a 60% chance if you're favored, but even then it's pretty, it's, it's pretty high or it's, it's pretty, you know, low relative to what, you know, we have now dropped our percent chance of, of getting into the playoffs. Chicago gets boosted. Not only that, if Chicago loses, they haven't won an eight chance of of getting first overall pick. So you know, these, these are the kind of things that kind of run through my mind. And Tyler, I mean, give me your perspective. I mean, I mean, as a Kings fan, you got to be ups, You got to be kind of annoyed. But you know, it, it, is this a debacle? Is this is this a problem that the NHL is going to face or going to have to deal with going forward?
0: Yeah, I, I, it's a very interesting uh, way to do drafts. I think so. The, the NBA and NHL, the ones that did the draft lottery things at the bottom. <laughs> Earn a lottery. Obviously, the worst record has the highest percent chance to get the number one pick. No guarantee. Football, baseball. If you have the worst record, you're guaranteed, unless you get a trade or something weird. You have the you have number one overall pick, and I think in a way that's actually kind of good for the sport of hockey and basketball in the sense that it kind of prevents taking tanking. Right teams, and a lot of teams do that in baseball, especially baseball, it's been, it's been a big problem with baseball the last few years. Football, I'm not sure so much, but um, where teams will like try to lose on purpose in order to try and get the number one pick, and no fans, and it's not good for the sport if teams are trying to lose on purpose, right? right. They're trying to be bad, versus in, in, in basketball and hockey, just because you're the worst team in the league doesn't guarantee you're going to get the best pick. You could get the number one get number 5 and 1 through 5 could be a it's a huge difference in in what play you're getting obviously a, a first round pick is a first round pick but you know in some in some years like this year you know that number one pick is a big time prospect that can be a it could be a franchise changer for you right. um so i guess on the flip side of it the fact that a playoff team is potentially getting this number one overall pick is a very very interesting circumstance and I've just been kind of confused with this whole rule and the whole thing. And Trey, you've explained it pretty well to me and how that's all worked and how that's kind of why this has happened, it was just a crazy coincidence. It wasn't like a you know, predetermined thing. I was watching live, and it was like this big breaking news. And, you know, the guy that was an, an, an announcing the picks, you know, you know, made it like breaking news, like some guy came into the courtroom right before a verdict with like breaking evidence to overturn or verdict or whatever. It, it was crazy. It was – an it was – very interesting, very dramatic, uh, definitely makes for some good uh, discussion. And, I mean, it's going to be very interesting. Whoever gets the number overall pick, like you mentioned, uh, it's going to be debated for years to come because it's kind of like really probably not the team that deserved to get that guy, that player. But right this fan personally, you know, I'm pretty okay with being in the number two considering that we were in the number four slot to start. You know, for me going up two notches, I'm good with that. You know, obviously, you get a chance to get number one without this whole the rule, but there's no guarantee. Uh, so I'm as a Kings fan, honestly, like I'm not super upset. Um, I'm pretty content with number two with number two pick. But yeah, it's a it's
2: a very interesting uh, scenario for the NHL. Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I look at it from this perspective. You know, a lot of the teams that have the opportunity now to even play in the playoffs were already given a lottery. In my perspective, they were already given a chance to make the playoffs in an, in an otherwise you're not winning the playoff scenario. <laughs> you know what I mean? So in my mind, if you're going to shorten the season and do this type of structure in my mind, the the only ones that should have been had the opportunity to, to, to win Alexi Lafreniere was, you know, the bottom seven. Um, because again, those other teams have a chance, you know, those lower bound teams that weren't going to make the playoffs have a, much greater chance of making the playoffs than they did you know back in March and mid-March so James I know know that you're kind of new to hockey and this is all kind of new but I want to know your perspective from the outside does this seem kind of bush league to you does this seem like something that you think is absolutely ridiculous or is it actually kind of interesting or what you know what is your take from you know being such a fan with other sports and knowing how you know draft lotteries and other kind of lotteries work – or drafts work in other sports.
1: I think it's tough. I, I don't like it at all. I mean, the first pick should go to the teams that sucked because it helped them turn around their franchise. Like, I'd be pretty pissed, no offense to you, but if this dude went to the Oilers, I'd be pissed because that top line would be ridiculous. And, yeah. well, they're just giving the rich more stuff. Right. It's like, really, they should really, he should really go to the Red Wings, man. This guy's supposed to be this great talent, this guy who like transforms your franchise and the Red Wings have nobody. They had right. 17 wins. Like they need some help and the NHL isn't giving them that help. Right. That sucks. I That, that doesn't make sense to me.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's a lot of people's, you know, concern with all this, but I, I I tend, to, I tend to side side towards a, an actual draft lottery in a, in a normal scenario. I think that that does, as Tyler mentioned, it does prevent tanking. Um, do I think that the Detroit Red Wings tank this year? I don't. I just think they were very sorry. I don't think they were very good at all. I think that you guys can agree. It's very hard for a team and a coach to willingly tank. It, it comes from above. It comes from the it GM It comes from side. any
1: sport, too. Yeah, I mean, maybe not right. baseball because Tyler said baseball. But like, like for the NFL, the Dolphins, like they, they they should have lost every single game to get that first overall pick. But towards the end, they won four in a row.
2: Right, and I think I think that that just begs a question. It doesn't come from the players. It does come from the coach because someone's going to call that out. Um, It comes from it comes from the GM and maybe who they, you know, who they trade for, who they put in put in place. And, um, you know, Eric, what is your what is your you know to to kind of round this out? What what is your kind of feeling on all of this? So the first pick didn't go to the
3: Atlanta Thrashers. I thought that meme said it did. (laughs) No, but uh, I remember seeing like a clip of them announcing it. And so they had like the numbers three through seven, the picks lined up. So they have one and two left. So they're announcing, they're pulling out the last pick. All right, here's going to be the first pick. And he's like, and the first pick is, and he flips over, it's just the NHL logo you're like, what the fuck is this? He's like, to be determined. Like, this is going to be a team that, like you said, one in eight chance that is in the playoffs. It's going to be one of these teams. But from what I remember, wasn't there, like, with Ottawa Senators, they traded Eric Carlson of the Sharks last year. They've made some trades in the past few years. They were – If you come to think about it, maybe what was that two years ago, they were in a game seven versus the Pittsburgh Penguins, lost, I believe, in overtime Yeah. on a fucking bar down clinger. I forget who scored it, but if they would have won that, things would have been a lot different. But anyways, they lost that game. They were a game away from the cup finals. That year, the Penguins went on winning, I think, their second cup in a row, but I think after that, they made a bunch of trades, and one of them was Carlson to the Sharks. The Avalanche made some trades, I think, with the Red Wings. Going back, I'm not a big fact-check guy. Alex, I know. This gets you rattled. But um, I know that there was a bunch of trades with the Red Wings, the Avalanche, the Sharks, and the Senators, and that created all these unconditional picks from what I remember. And I think that's all played into this draft, which I don't think anyone ever would have thought that was going to happen but I mean do you think this what I'm thinking is do you think this will ever happen again like do you think did it happen because of all these unconditional picks that all of a sudden created a to-be-determined team because of all these different trades that happened in the past or is this like is what I'm saying is this a fluke and it's never going to happen again or do you think this will happen again?
2: Um, well, this won't happen again. I mean, unless, unless they don't have a seat and they have another shortened season next year, this isn't going to happen again. Um, you know, because, because of the way it was set up, it was only set up for this unprecedented event. Um, so I, I really don't see that, see that occurring, but, um, you know, I, and all the other, you know, all the other trades have to do with the first round pick. I think that that's just normal business. Um, and you're, you're going to see that from years to come, but that, that didn't put a, a playoff team into contention for a first overall pick. Um, I will, I will round out with this. I will say um, as an Oilers fan and I will, and I will, you guys may not believe me what I'm about to say. I hope to hope to God that we don't, we, if we lose that, we don't end up in that first overall pick. Um, and here's the reason why is because we, we went from third to first back in 2015 to get who is now considered the greatest player to, to walk the earth at this moment. and, <laughs> and, to get another player of that caliber who, you know, to complement, you know, Leon Dreisaitl and, um, and Connor McDavid would just become, we would, we, we would, we're already the most hated team on the, in the league because of that, especially from the Buffalo fans. Um, and that it would just continue down that spiral. And, and I just don't want to have to, I don't want to have to explain any, any of that. Um, you know, we don't know. You're that. talking about Lucic. You weren't talking about <laughs> Lucic. No, no, no. But, um, yeah, I mean, to me, this is a debacle, and I think we all can kind of, kind of agree. Um, but I will say that it did give me a reason to come on the podcast and kind of give me give a rant, and so I, I guess I can thank it for that. Was that pick by the Avalanche one of
3: those unconditionals? Didn't they receive Rantanen, Miko Rantanen, out of one of those? Do, uh, yes, does that sound right. That was that year. Yeah. That. So, I mean, that's another dude that I don't think. I mean, I don't know when he was drafted. But I know he that's was, he was drafted that. in the
2: 2015.
3: Yeah, he was the Connor McDavid draft. He's a franchise changer, that guy. I mean, mm-hmm. he can definitely con- contribute, and he's contributing to the avalanche. So he was one of those unconditional picks from that that played into all this <laughs> shit. But just going what you're saying. I don't know if this is ever going to happen again, probably just because of all the circumstances. But yeah. I just wanted to point that out. Thanks, and everyone, for uh,
0: giving their input on the NHL draft. We're talking about baseball in the 2020 season and what new rule changes and what this season is going to look like. We'll be right back. Welcome back to TLDR Podcast. In this segment, we're talking about Major League Baseball and their return this season for 2020. Uh, We'll give you guys a few stats that's coming up. All right, we have a 60-game season, uh, which will start on July 23rd and 24th. Uh, Spring training part two, that starts July 1st. at the time of this recording, That's, that's tomorrow, boys. Um, so here, here is here is the new policies in place for the COVID-19 and all the, what what's going on with that. Um, all players are tested upon arrival to camp. Once they test negative, players and coaches and support staff will be tested every other day for training camp, regular season, and postseason. Anyone who tests positive will be quarantined. In order to return, they must get two negative tests. Uh, players will receive symptom and temperature checks at least twice a day. Blood antibody tests will be conducted once a month. Players and team personnel not participating in the game will sit in the stands six feet apart or in a designated area. All non-playing personnel required to wear masks in the dugout and in the bullpen. There is no spitting or chewing tobacco allowed. However, gum is allowed. So make sure you get that uh, big league chew up in the dugout. Uh, no celebratory contact, meaning high-fives, fist bumps, hugs, etc., is allowed. Um, no fun. No fun at all. Uh, as far as the schedule looks, uh, so there's 60 games in the regular season. 40 of those games will be played against inner division teams, uh, so 10 games against each team in your division. And then the, the remaining 20 games will be played against the opposite league in a ge- geographical area. So, for example, the NL West will be playing the American League West. Um, Spring training will be held at the team's home ballpark. Uh, This is partially due, of course, to the recent COVID outbreaks in Arizona and Florida. Um, So, for the new game rules that are in play this this year that are new for the season, there's going to be a designated hitter in both leagues, which is a really, really big deal, probably the biggest change. Um, as many of you guys know, uh, DH has only been in the American League for a while, and the National League pitchers can hit. That's gone. DH both leagues. Uh, teams will begin a season with a 30-man roster reduced to 28 after two weeks, and again to 26 after four weeks. Uh, the trade deadline is August 31st. The player A player on the MLB roster must be on the MLB roster by September 21st. By September fifteenth, to be eligible for the postseason, Uh, the teams are allowed to have a a three-player taxi squad, meaning that it's a player that's not on the roster that could be added last minute in case of any you know COVID anything or any kind of last-minute injuries. Three players allowed, but one of them must be a catcher. Uh, During extra innings, each half inning will begin with a runner on second base, who will be the batter who made the last out in the previous inning, which is another big change. Um, and there will be a separate injured list for COVID-19-related incidents, and there's no time limit for that uh, injured list. So there's no, like, a 10-day, there's no 45-day, there's no 60-day, no time limit for any COVID-related incidents. Uh, the postseason remains at 10 teams, and um, the schedule for that is TBD. This, uh, as far as the schedule goes, the regular season will end around September 27th. So we'll have an October postseason as it normally would be. Um, again, remains at 10 teams. Um, so as far as the numbers go, that's, it's going to be the same as it would be usually. Um, so my question to you guys is with all these new rules with a 60-game season, obviously normally we have a 162, so we're playing just a little bit over a third of what a regular season would be. Um, what teams do you guys think will thrive and struggle in the shortened season? Angels always
3: play well, play well the first half of the season, so they only got half a season. Yeah. I think they could hopefully do well.
1: I mean, they also have one of the oldest lineups in baseball right now. So a shorter season means like your players will last longer. More dangerous. Terrible, terrible, terrible staff right now. So the short of the season, less things at the pitch. I hope they'll be better with that. That's what I'm hoping for. Go Angels. World series <laughs> I, I definitely think as far as the, the Angels situation
0: goes, um, having Sho, Shohei Otani, um, he was going to be on an innings limit this season and with 60 games. Not anymore we'll full go. So we're, we're probably going to see a full go Otani, which I think is very exciting, and I think that gives the Angels a huge benefit. Um, they still have one of the oldest lo- uh, lineups in baseball, but again, with a shortened lineup, you know, that might benefit them because they won't deal with injuries over a prolonged season. Uh, so I think the Angels, for me personally, are a very interesting team to watch in a shortened season. It could benefit them. Um, I think that's one of the teams that, you know, on a, or a full season might be on the outside looking in. But in this situation, might be on, might be one of those fringe wildcard teams for me. Alex, what do you think?
4: Uh, I think there's a lot of crazy things that could happen, especially with teams like the Padres or the Phillies or the White Sox or the Blue Jays who have all these young arms that they maybe would have not promoted to start this uh, normal 162 because they want them on inning limits. Um, You know, guys like Mackenzie Gore with the Padres or Nate Pearson um, with the Blue Jays. So I think for these for these teams that have young arms that you know they're gonna get maybe 10 starts-ish, 10 to like 12 starts, depending on it. You you don't need an aiming limit. You throw your best guys. Um, I think deep teams like the Rays and the Dodgers, who just have like really too many players to fill out their 26 man roster to begin with, that can only be beneficial. Um, I think the, the, to go on like the rule changes real quick, the Universal DH was coming anyway. It was only a matter of time. This um, MLB CBA is up after the 2021 season. There's a, I think there was a good chance that was going to change already. I personally, and I think they're doing to kind of move to the other one, they're doing the second, you know, guy on second base to start the extras just to save pitchers. Um, you know, these guys have been sitting at home for three months now. You know, they can be thrown in their backyard. Maybe they're, you know, they live near somebody that they can toss with, but there's no way they can simulate what a real spring training is in three weeks, especially for the pitchers. Um, so I think teams that have nasty bullpens, like Tampa Bay legitimately could end this season with the best record because their bullpen's nasty. They've already implemented um, the opener so many times. They just need to pound through through 60 games. They get to play the Orioles a bunch, Um, you know, and some of these other teams, like even the Yankees, they're supposed to be so good, but they already have injury questions throughout their uh, rotation. I think I'm like, I'm on big Tampa Bay Rays hype train right now. I think they could end up being very good. Um, I think some of these other Uh, central teams that get to play kind of weaker opponents like the twins and the Indians could have very good seasons as well because they can just beat up on the Royals and the Tigers. who are supposed to be terrible. Um, It will be interesting to see. I'm still not even hundred percent sure it's going to happen. I'm not hundred percent sure any of these are going to happen, but uh, I'm excited. We'll, we'll see, you know, players are already opting out. Um, Ryan Zimmerman's already opted out um Joe Ross has already opted out Ian Desmond has opted out and I don't blame any of those guys at all you know they all have family members with different circumstances young kids they're I mean some of them are leaving like multiple millions of dollars on the table but you got to do what you got to do yeah obviously the
0: the big the big wild card in all of this is is COVID and a lot's going to happen and you know really the, the team that stays the healthiest in terms of COVID is going to be the team that's going to benefit the most and Really, realistically, that could be anybody. That could be the freaking Marlins. That you know nobody gets tested positive and they run away with that division. You know, you know, and and everyone else you know gets tested. And I mean, you're looking at you know, say you get you know, you know, three of your main starters go down with COVID, and they're out for at least a week. You know, that's a big chunk of a 60-game season. You know. That, that's, a, that's a big deal. And for, for baseball, the biggest difference is this is going to be a sprint versus a marathon. And people always talk about how baseball is a marathon. And so it's going to be interesting to see what teams can handle the sprint. And that's a very, it's very non-baseball-like. And it's going to be very, very different. Um, I'm very in- intrigued to see what's going to happen. I mean, for example, last year, the Washington Nationals in the first two months of the season were not the best team. They were struggled. They, were, they had a losing record they did not look look like a playoff team and they turned it around after those first 60 games and won the world series. So you could see a lot of teams like that. that will probably miss out that potentially in a full season might've made the playoffs, might've won a world series. Um, so I think, I think for me, that's the biggest thing. Um, what do you, do you guys think that whoever wins this season, whoever wins the world series um, is a legit champion? You know, is there, is there going to be an asterisk next to their, World Series title because it was
2: only sixty games. What do you guys think on that? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll start. Um, I, I I can't I can't say that you could give them an asterisk for that because I think I I think you got a point that it, it's a sprint now and and I'll be the first to admit that I'm not during the regular season of baseball it it, it gets dr- it, it, it drags out it gets it gets a little drawn out for my taste. World Series baseball and I'm not even a huge baseball guy is some of the best sports you'll ever watch it is. Electric! It is fun, and I think that most of the season is going to play be like that in the regular season for the first time in I've never seen it like that. So, and I think you got to your point. These teams are are going to be having to deal with this different type of structure with different. You know, they're going to have to play differently that every other day or every day. You know, and how do you not how do you not recognize that as the team that can actually do that and figure out a way to to win the sprint and, 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 and do it consistently night overnight. How do you not give them the full, you know, here's your, here's your world series trophy. I mean, you figured out this, you know, these unprecedented times, you figured out this new structure. I think that that's, you got to commend him for that. Yeah. I think I agree with trading.
3: I wouldn't put an asterisk on it. You know, everybody's going to, but, at the same time, it's a different format. It's, it's adapting to the change of what's going on right now. So it's, it's almost like winning the wait. It's like they waited this whole time for the season to begin. And, yes, players are opting out. And, yes, like you said, with say someone's positive, they're out for a week, that's a big chunk of a 60-game season. But at this time, the teams that adapt to that change – even what Alex is saying, it could be the Tampa Bay Rays. They could just be locked and loaded and waiting for this, be ready for it. Um, the teams that adapt to that change and that are ready to go are the ones that. I mean, it sounds simple, but the ones that are probably going to get all the way to that to that deep end of the season, and people are going to put an asterisk on it, but you know, it's they put in the effort and they did everything they could to get there. So with what they have right now, so you got to give them credit for that. And I don't think you should put an asterisk on it. I would say the same thing for the NBA and the NHL. Like they went through almost the full season and they were close to the end. And now they have this weight and they're put on hold. The teams that adapt to the change and that find a way to get it done, you know, let alone the certain areas that have the virus and things like that. But the teams that can adapt to it and do the right things and get there, you can't take away the credit for that. You can't put an asterisk on that.
4: Yeah, I got, hold on, I got one thing. So I don't, I agree. I don't think you can put an asterisk on it because everyone's starting at an equal level. Everyone's playing 60 games. It's the beginning of the season. Trade. it, my question for you, since you're like the big hockey guy, for instance, say your Oilers lose in the first round or like the Penguins lose and the, those 12 or 11 seeds turn into the 2012 Kings and surprise the world and, you know, sweep all their way through. If one of those teams that wasn't going to make the playoffs, like can you put an asterisk on them where I think you almost could compared to MLB, say the Marlins get hot all of a sudden and they squeak in and then they win it all because everyone started at an equal level. I don't think you can for those NHL teams. You might have to. I, I, I don't know if we're on the same wavelength, but I was literally thinking the
2: same thing when Eric was talking there. Um it, I don't I don't want to be that fan, especially because I'm playing a team that is, is playing. the. Like, yeah. I should be in the playoffs, for Christ's sake, okay? <laughs> I'm just going to say, I should be in the playoffs, okay? <laughs> um, the fact that I'm not right now and have to play my way in, um, you know, and if I lose three games, I'm done. That wouldn't have been the case, you know, back in March. I could have lost three games and still been in the playoffs. No big deal. Um, can you put an asterisk on that? I, I don't know. Um, I think you got to give the benefit of, uh, of the fact that, you know, the, the league stopped e- everyone's coming back and no one's been training. So it, it it's really going to be a, a, a battle. I mean, and everyone, you know, no one's, no one's had the training. No one's been together. No, the chemistry that, or the, 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 um, you know, the chemistry and the, the momentum that maybe the Oilers were having towards the end, which we were having a lot of momentum towards the end. Um, you know, it's completely washed. Can you put an asterisk? I don't think you can put an asterisk on that just because of the circumstance. Um, Maybe in my mind, it'll always be there, but to be, to be a fair fan, they they were still mathematically able, they could have made the playoffs if if we would have lost all of our games and Chicago would have won all of their games. So. (laughs) So you want to
3: bet, you want to bet that McDavid messes up his first pass (laughs) $200,000. I don't think he'll be ready.
2: Well, uh, I'm not gonna bet that because I'll be honest, McDavid makes some uh, no, he'll some probably silly passing it. mistakes. So it's so. <laughs> I'm not gonna oh pick that shit! Bad. Oh shit! No, Speaking I I'll be like honest. I'll be honest. He's from he's the heart, boy, but he makes uh he makes some questionable moves sometimes.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I want to put the other side for you guys here. Sorry, Tyler, but I'm gonna go. I think there should be an asterisk mainly because baseball is not a sprint. They have never, ever – I'm just looking at the stats here or the history, but they've never played under 70 games ever, and now you're playing 60. So now you're going to compare those championships, those, the World Series championships, to all the other championships before that? I don't think that's fair to everybody else. They have <laughs> all played this marathon, 162 games plus some, and now you're just playing 60 games, then some. I don't think that's fair. That's not baseball. I mean, it is baseball. That, not that's, that's fair. Baseball.
2: That's fair. But, but then it goes back to what we talked about last week where different eras, we're still comparing different eras. Why are there no asterisks on every single era in baseball?
3: Astros. Because this uh, isn't, I thought they're called the Houston, a, uh, the Houston
2: asterisks. The Houston
3: asterisks.
1: They definitely are. Because before, like, you see how things changed before. It was this gradual either increase or decrease of some sort. This is major. This is cutting off 102 games. That's major compared to what it was last year. The biggest change I see here is that they went from 60 games to 84 games. That was the biggest change in the scheduling for games. But now you're doing 102 games? That's crazy. Yeah, it's definitely,
0: it's definitely a big difference. And, James, I agree with you. It's, it's, def, it's definitely not a full, legit season that we're used to seeing. And I think no matter what, like, whoever wins the World Series this year, I think people are going to say, like, oh, it wasn't a real season. You didn't have the full 162. I mean, not even close to that, um, not even half of that. Um, but the way I see it, if the Houston Astros can fucking steal signs and do all that shit, and there's they're not an asterisk or anything for them to get rid of their 2017 World Series championship, uh, you know, a fucking team that plays 60 games hard, plays it well, gets in the playoffs is, is, is one of the, the final 10 teams to play it, and we, we play a normal playoffs the way it's normally played, for me, I don't think there's an asterisk, but of course, you know, yeah, James, I, I agree with you that it's definitely not a full season. There's a lot that plays out during that regular season, with injuries with trades, with just the ebbs and flows of records and how, you know, teams go through cold streaks and hot streaks. And, you know, it's going to be a sprint for 60 games versus a marathon. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, adapting there, it, it, it's definitely interesting. I think like,
3: you know, a lot of sports are going through, through the same thing. This is just the 2020 world that we live in right now. Like, the NBA and NHL had lockouts, too. The Blackhawks won a cup in one of those lockout seasons, so we might as well put an asterisk on them, too, you know. I mean, the NBA had a lockout. I think the Heat won that year, so let's throw an asterisk on them. And whoever wins baseball, if it's not the Angels this year, we're throwing an asterisk on them, too. (laughs) That's my conclusion.
0: I love it. All right, this will end this segment on Major League Baseball. When we come back, James is going to wrap us up with the NFL offseason moves on the defensive side. Come back. All right, guys, welcome back. TLDR Podcast wrapping up our final segment. James is going to tell us all of his biggest NFL offseason moves on the defensive side of the ball. James, take it away.
1: All right, guys, last segment of the night, one number 18 of 18 Let's finish strong. So I'm going to start with the D lineman here. We're gonna start with Calais Campbell being traded to the Ravens. He's 33 years old. He was traded from the Jaguars to the Ravens for a 2020 round pick. He then signed a two year, $25 million contract. He's a five time pro bowler, three time all pro, NFL defensive player of the year in 2017, Walter Payne man of the year in 2019. He was named pro football Focus's 2019 run defender of the year in 2019, like I just said. The Ravens were 14 and two with a really good defense but they lost in the divisional round to Derrick Henry and the Titans. How much better does Calais Campbell make this team? Will they be able to compete with the Chiefs, the Titans? Can they stop Patrick Mahomes? Can they stop Derrick Henry? What do you guys think?
4: I'm not sure if anyone can stop Derrick Henry like he was that last five weeks plus of the season. I mean, he was nasty. I kind of think the AFC is – I mean – you know we kind of kind of wish Cam Newton the Cam Newton news had come last week so we could have talked about it during the offensive oh, yeah. side of the ball but um i mean between the ravens and the chiefs those two kind of feel like the two heavyweights of the afc i don't know if you know as a 30 he's now 33 Football is a lot different than the other, you know, three major sports. It feels like it doesn't matter what position you play unless it's quarterback. This Right when you get over 30, your body starts to kind of wear down. Um, you know, but he obviously had a great season in 2019. He was Defensive Player of the Year only two years ago. 2017, well, I guess three years ago now. Yeah, it, It's tough. Um, if anything – Just his presence in there should help that Ravens defense become better. Um, And for him, it's got to feel great to get out of
1: Jacksonville. It's got to feel good to get out of there. Yeah, just trash team. Go back up, what you were saying, the last three years, he's always been a top four defensive lineman. 2017, right, number one, he had 14.5 sacks. 2018, he's number one overall defensive lineman with 10.5. And last year he was number three overall with 6.5 sacks. This guy is an absolute monster. The Ravens as a whole was ranked number five in rush defense. They only allowed 4.4 yards per, per carry and the 37 sacks to the team. Overall, I think they take over. I think they, I mean, like the Chiefs as a whole, they have a passing attack, but that's predicated on the run. Without a run, you cover those passes. And <laughs> Calais Campbell can stop the run single handedly. As soon as he was signed, he was immediately the best player on, that defensive, on the defensive side of that ball. That answers
3: my question. I was going to say, like, because you said, is he going to stop Mahomes? Is he going to stop Derrick Henry? I was going to say, well, is he better at stopping a running back or a quarterback?
1: <laughs> I mean, that's probably a dumb question, but. He's a D lineman, dude. What is he going to – is he going to intercept the ball, like go play 10 yards deep? What is he going to well, do? Is he going to sack the quarterback
3: or is he going to fall for the fake and Derrick Henry run right by him like like they did to the Ravens last year when they had, what you said, four rush yards in the season and then Derrick Henry had 400 rush yards in the game? I mean, <laughs> is he more important? Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm just saying, but you kind of answered the question. He had He had this number of sacks, but he was better at stopping the run. So, therefore, probably be better off against – Derrick Henry, Titans,
1: in my opinion. We're going to move on to Malcolm Jenkins going to the Saints. He's a safety. He's 32 years old. He just signed a four-year, $32 million contract. He's a two-time Super Bowl champ, three-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro. He's coming back to the team that drafted him. In 2009, in 2009 he was drafted number 14 overall out of Ohio State by the Saints. He recently played the last couple of years with the Eagles. So at 32 years old, is Malcolm Jenkins what the Saints need? They finished 13-3 and last season, but they lost in the divisional round to the Vikings in overtime, 26-20. to Tyler, what's your take on this? I know you're a big Eagles guy, and this guy was your safety for a long time.
0: Yeah, Ma- Malcolm Jenkins, great player for us last, last few seasons. I think one of the biggest problems with the Eagles was always the secondary. But the Mac- the Jenkins was always a pretty solid guy for us. Um, as far as, as him going to the Saints, um, I think I think it's a, it's a plus. Even though he's a little bit older, I think the Saints can you know afford some veteran leadership on the on the, the defensive end. I don't think that's going to hurt them at all. Um, personally, James, like, what are the Saints on the defensive side of the ball? Like, how are how are they looking? Like, is this is this going to help them out? Or are they are they younger? Is the is the Jenkins going to make it better? I mean, thirty two. You think that's kind of right on the fringe of like kind of. He's down. also a safety. Also a safety. You're right. That's a position that can last for long. <laughs> for me personally, I from that. looking at it, I think it's a big pick up for, for the Saints.
1: The Saints defense is nasty. They're, they might be one of the best defenses of the year next year. <laughs> I mean, Marcus Williams, last year, who was a free safety, he's coming off a of 47 tackle four interception, and 13 past defensive years. He's only allowed 11 receptions last year. He was the number... Four overall free safety. They still have Cameron Jordan on that defensive line. That dude had 16 sacks last year. 16 sacks. Just one dude just coming off the defensive line. The Saints defense is going to be something to, I'm afraid of, especially as a Niners fan. Like, I don't want to play him, man. They're going to they're gonna mess my team up. So that's, that's something I'd be afraid of. All they need is
3: stick a hand in Jimmy G's face, and that's a pick right there.
1: Yeah, yeah how about talk about Jared Goff?
3: Jared G or Jimmy G? They're the same dude, basically.
1: Okay. Keep talking, Eric. Let's see if you make the process here.
3: 100 bucks. I'm betting. I'm going no, We shook on it. We shook on it.
1: Okay. <laughs> you have any thoughts, Alex? No, keep going. Okay. Next, we're going to go to cornerback Darius Slay to the Eagles. So, Todd, I'm going to talk to you again. Darius Slay is 29 years old. He was traded from Detroit for a 2023 and fifth round draft pick. He signed a three-year, $50 million deal. He's a three-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro, and was the NFL interception leader in 2017. Fun fact about him is that he's changing his number from 23 to 24 in order to honor Kobe Bryant. So the Eagles just lost Malcolm Jenkins. So does Darius Slay pick up the slack and then some to return to the lockdown corner he once was? Last year was an awful year for Darius Slay. He posted his worst ratings. He's also playing for a terrible Lions team. In 2019, the Eagles finished nine and seven, barely squeaking into a wild card spot, but then lost to the Seahawks nine to seventeen. Tyler, with the loss of Malcolm Jenkins, are you happy with this pickup?
0: Yeah, obviously a huge loss with Jenkins, but I feel like if that was a, a, a big pickup with Clay, you know, hopefully he plans out obviously a, a low year last year at the Lions, but I think coming over to I think just an overall better established team and coaching staff of the Eagles will help them out a little bit um you know like I mentioned earlier the Eagles have had issues with their secondary cornerback safeties in the past um signing free agents aka Namdi Asamoah I'm looking at you bro um huge <laughs> to go. Uh, so my immediate reaction was like I don't want another one of that to happen um so I'm a little skeptical just because of the recent history with the Eagles secondary like it's just kind of a weird sensitive spot for Eagles fans but i hope clay comes in shuts it down gives us a huge needed um, stop on the on the defense side of the ball um, so hopefully it pans out but like i said I'm, i am a little skeptical just because of the eagles history nothing else nothing against clay just with the pass last his oh. last name is slay
3: dude <laughs> hey, clay he keeps saying clay <laughs> You were calling Zion Williamson Zion (laughs) Williams earlier, too. (laughs) It's Darius Slay,
1: dude. (laughs) Slay it, slay it, slay. Fly Eagles fly. I'm out. (laughs) All right. Um, (laughs) So the Eagles' rush defense as a whole was ranked number three, which is fantastic. As Tyler was saying, their pass defense is horrible. They're ranked number 19. They allowed 300 and. 3,865 yards, and allowed the QBs to have a 60.9 completion percentage. They also only had 11 interceptions, and the one year that Darius Slay led the league, he had eight. So it's kind of crazy. If you can replicate that, he'll be huge for the Eagles. Moving on to Corey Littleton to the Raiders. This is your guy, Eric. Corey Littleton, 26 years old. He signed for a three-year, $36 million contract was a one-time all-pro and one-time pro bowler. Um, he's coming from the Rams and um, the Raiders are basically building their team as they moved to Vegas. So does Corey Littleton become the de facto leader of that defense and put up the same stat-stuffing numbers he did in the last two seasons with the Rams because he helped the team get to 500? The Raiders were 7-9 and last season and missed the playoffs. The season I'm referencing was in 2019 where he had 134 tackles 78 were solo, and he also had two interceptions and nine pass defense. What do you guys think?
4: I thought this was, as, as a Rams fan, you know, we had to let a bunch of guys go. Some guys retired. I thought losing Corey Littleton is, is going to be a huge blow for them. And he's still young. He's only 26, 27. Uh, for a Raiders team that's up and coming, I don't see why he can't be the leader of that defense. He was already calling all the defensive plays for the Rams. Um, he's all over the place. He'd play special teams. He had some punt blocks. Corey Littleton, he's all he, – it feels like every time I'd watch a game, you know how there's just those players, it seems like they're just mentioning their names every time. That's who Corey Littleton is. He seems like he does everything. He flies around the field. Dude's a monster. I, I personally think great pickup for the,
1: for the Raiders. That's a cheap pickup too three or 36 million for that linebacker. Yeah,
4: that's not that Very much. Very cheap. Yeah. That's a solid pickup. I think, I think that
2: Raiders fans should be pretty happy about this. I mean, um, they're moving, they're going to get a nice new stadium. They're getting a new, uh, a new place to play. Um, and with that, they're getting a new renewed, you know, um, you know, defense. He's going to be, they can they can make it build around him. Um, it seems like they haven't had, you know, uh, this type of linebacker in a while. So um, that alone is going to, is going to boost their ability to, you know, squeak into the playoffs or even, you know, turn some heads while, uh, um, you know, while doing it. And if you, you know, I I think I said this last week, um, once you get a player that can kind of fix the, fix one of the issues or a big issue, you know, on whatever side of the ball, you then can start to build around that player and, Things start to go in the right direction from
1: there so they haven't had a linebacker like this guy in a long time and that's correct because last year they had vontaze perfect you guys remember who that is he's Ooh. the guy who made ab go crazy he's the guy who um, was suspended multiple times for dirty hits and he had that gnarly hit on ab and literally gave him ctu in the spot right then and there since then ab has never been the same and he's not ever gonna play again probably yeah <laughs> that's Taz perfect for you <laughs> So do you think yeah, last one.
3: if they get Littleton, maybe he gets forces a fumble here and there, gets a pick here and there. Is that really gonna help the Raiders? Is Derek Carr not gonna throw a pick or two every game? Is he is is that gonna even out the offensive struggles for the Raiders? That's what I'm wondering. Like Traden said, they got the new stadium, they got the new fan base in Vegas. They still have the crazy old fan base from from their old Oak Town. But is that going to even out the offensive struggles?
2: I mean, do you think it, they it,
3: make the playoffs is what I'm asking. Do they make the playoffs?
1: Oh, no, absolutely not. I mean, they probably
2: – I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess you could say they probably will make the playoffs if if you're, if you're not – obviously, he's not going to fix the offensive struggles that they're having, but if he at least can fix the defensive struggles. Yeah, does struggle. he even them out? And, and at, you know, at some point, is he going to even them out this, this year? Maybe not, but at least it gives them something to actually build off of and maybe – Maybe they will find a wild card spot. Who knows? Um, maybe Derek Carr can pull the head out of his ass and actually do something. Um, um, you know, maybe this will be a, a spark plug. If the defense is actually doing doing some work, maybe this is a catalyst for uh, for the offense.
3: If you don't see me next week, I may have been murdered by a Raiders fan for saying that. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, All right, Pete, Eric. want to throw some, uh, throw some uh, dis- debates in there.
1: The last person we're talking about is a rookie, and it's Chase Young. Chase Young is 21 years old. He was drafted number two overall in the 2020 NFL draft. He's from Ohio State. He broke the single-season sack record with 16.5 in his final year. Over three seasons, he played 34 games, had 98 tackles, 68 solo, 40.5 tackles for loss, 30.5 sacks, and nine forced fumbles. Pro football focus ranked him the number one defensive end in the entire country. So out of 534 defensive ends, he, he was ranked number one. Scouts everywhere, everybody who scouted him, said Young is the best edge prospect we've ever scouted. So the Redskins have a very, very young and improving team that finished 13 and 3 and 13 last season. Does Chase Young have a Nick Bosa year? Nick Bosa was number two or was a number two pick up last year's draft. He's a pro bowler. NFL defensive rookie of the year, all rookie team, and he had nine sacks. Does, he, does Chase have that same impact? Because right now, on on paper, this guy sounds like a monster. Like, he seems like he could just wreck offensive single-handedly.
4: He could have a Nick Bosa-like year, not saying the Redskins are going to make the playoffs. They're probably not going to have a much better record than they did last year. But he could easily ha- be a pro bowler and the off- – or, a, you know – NFL rookie defensive player of the year he's I mean he's a monster the dude's nuts he I mean there's
1: I'm predicting double digit sacks oh me too 100% I agree I'm gonna say 13
0: well that's gonna wrap up this episode of TLDR <laughs> thanks to James, Trading, Eric and Alex for joining us <laughs> and we'll see you guys next time adios <laughs>